Good morning, church family. For those who are fortunate enough not to know me, I am Ross Owens, and I'm one of the administrative pastors here at Allegheny Center Alliance Church. And before I dive into God's word, I do have a confession to make. I am not equipped to preach today's message. And the reason is I have no experience in the topic that I'm going to talk about today. Absolutely no experience in my 48 years, I know I look 25, but in my 48 years of living, I have struggled with this um, and I continue to struggle with it to today. And that topic is patience. Now there's an old saying that patience is a virtue. I never got that. In my career, I was actually paid to make things go faster, more efficient, and patience is just one of those things that I never saw the value in. And actually, people who do exhibit that virtue, sometimes they drive me crazy. <laughs> Except for you, Lisa. <laughs> now I won't sleep on the couch. But what's interesting is when we dive into the Word of God, we actually see that the Bible has a lot to say about patience, and it does answer why patience is a virtue. So today, we're going to attempt to not only answer that question of why patience is a virtue, but also a couple more such as, what are the different varieties of patience? Once we dive into God's Word, we're going to see that it actually references two separate forms of patience that we as believers should have. And second of all, how is patience developed in our lives? So we're going to start by looking at two New Testament scriptures that have something very important to say about patience. The first is found in James chapter 1, starting with verse number 2. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And the second scripture we're going to look at is found in Galatians chapter 5, which is a very familiar scripture to a lot of people. And it says, the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But for the purpose of this sermon, we're going to focus on the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. So the title of today's sermon is The Virtue of Patience. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am not worthy nor equipped to preach a message in, in an area that I still struggle with today. But God, I submit myself to you. I lay my soul at the throne of grace, asking that you do a mighty work in me and through me so that I can reach your people. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves throughout this sermon and move throughout this building, God, and touch the hearts of your people. I ask that you make their ground good ground so they can receive your word. So please, Lord, do what you do best. Do the miraculous. Do the powerful. God, make yourself known in this place, and we will be sure to give you and you only all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And as we attempt to dive into God's word, may the Lord be with you. There's an old Dutch proverb that says, a handful of patience 
is worth more than a bushel of brains. And through the years, I've learned that a patient person will make better decisions in life than a highly intelligent person who finds comfort in complaining, doesn't have the patience to wait for the right time and opportunity, and most importantly, who does not wait on God. The Bible uses the word patience in various forms, but throughout this service, I'm going to use different examples to define what patience means for us as believers. But before we can fully understand what patience looks like for us, we must first consider what it looks like when practiced by God. Now, did you know that scripture nowhere speaks of patient as God as being patient with things or circumstances? I like to suggest this because he knows the beginning from the end. And as a result, he doesn't have any need of patience with issues or circumstances in the same way that you and I do. But he does have a need for something else. He has a need for a different virtue, and that virtue is long-suffering, and more specifically, long-suffering toward mankind. See, it means that God is willing to put up with a lot of our foolishness before growing impatient with us. And we see this demonstrated repeatedly through the Old Testament because God remains faithful with the Israelites even though they wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their stubborn unbelief and their sin. And see, God remained faithful despite the fact that they repeatedly ignored his commandments, doubted his promises, and quickly forgot his provisions and care for their lives. And to add to that, their nonstop complaining made it difficult to do what God had called them to do. But because of who God is, he provided food, clothing, water, and protection for them day after day after day. And God's conduct reminds us that the Lord isn't long-suffering because we deserve it. He's long-suffering because it's his nature. It's who God is. And it was hard for me to wrap my mind around it, especially as a youth. I would be in John Eagle, and I would see a small kid in a cart. I almost said a small bratty kid, but I'm not going to use that word. <laughs> and the kid would be in the cart screaming and fussing and yelling and talking back to their parent, and I would look at that child and say, if that was my child, I would take that child by the ankles, turn it upside down, and shake the change out of his pocket. <laughs> and I would never understand how parents can be so patient with children who are screaming and going crazy. So while I was in Giant Eagle, this kid was knocking off the uh, candy from the rack and taking the magazines and ripping them up and just throwing all kind of crazy stuff. And the parent looked at the child and said, honey, if you just act right, I'll buy you a piece of candy. And I'm thinking, you'll do what? <laughs> but now that I'm a parent, it makes sense. And now that I see my relationship with God, it makes even more sense. Even when we act a fool, God still loves us. He does not pull back his blessings even when we know that we're sinning. Even when we know that what we're about to do will not be acceptable in the sight of God, God still 
loves us. And I know there's some time that God just wants to turn us upside down, grab us by our ankles, and shake the change out of our pocket. But he has grace. And he wants us to show that same grace to others. See, God is long-suffering and consistently acts with faithfulness toward us even when his heart is grieved by our sin. See, sin separates us from God, but he desires to have a relationship with us. So no matter where we go in the sin process, God is always with us. See, rather than walk away from us, God chooses to persevere with us, gently and lovingly calling us back to himself. And see, his long-suffering isn't an end in, in itself. It's intended for our benefit. See, God's long-suffering is our pathway to repentance. He deeply desires that we repent and turn to him. And he desires it more than we do. See, that's the motivation behind God's suffering. He graciously waits for us to recognize the errors of our ways and choose to do things his way. Now, as a matter of fact, God is more long-suffering with us than we are patient with ourselves. See, I know of believers who have walked away from the faith because they are spiritually deflated. They think that it's no longer worth trying to overcome a stronghold that they've been suffering with for years. Or they assume that their struggle means that God has given up on them. But the reality is otherwise. See, the problem isn't there the problem is they're lack of patience. They've lost patience with the spiritual maturity, and they've given up on themselves, and they've given up on God. They made the painful mistake of confusing God's patience with their lack of perseverance. But the truth is God is long-suffering and doesn't wane in our repeated wanderings. It doesn't matter if you've been struggling with the sin for 10, 15, or 20 years, God has not abandoned you. That's why it's so important to remember, God is more long-suffering than we are sinful. So don't lose patience with yourselves and give up on God. Because like the song say, it says, God has not given up on you. He's able. Now, if I was John Walton, I would just bust out in a song right now. But don't confuse the black ball guys. <laughs> so let me be clear. His long suffering is not a license for us to keep sinning. But it is an invitation to repent and turn back to him. That's why it's important to know that God's long suffering helps us focus on his promise while the Holy Spirit deals with our problems. Now, let me elaborate on that. See, the fact that God doesn't strike us down every time we sin means that we have another opportunity to draw closer to him and receive his promises. And the more we draw closer to him, walk after the spirit and not after the flesh, the more that the Holy Spirit will fight our battles. You will drive yourself crazy trying to handle your own sin. We are absolutely no match for the enemy. But God, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit for us to move away from our sins. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver us from things that we're struggling, struggling with. You cannot do it on your own, so stop trying to fight a losing battle. 
It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And the more I focus on God, the more he fights my battles. The more I grow in God's grace, the more he will help me with my sin. The more that I love on God, God will take care of all of my needs according to his riches and glory. What we got to do is stop stressing over the sin and start glorifying our God. And again, the more we focus on him, the more his Holy Spirit will fight our battles. But do know, that God's long-suffering is long, but it's not endless. Like all long-suffering, it comes with an expiration date. Eventually, God's long-suffering gives way to another expression of his love, which is his wrath. So now that we know what long-suffering means for God, which is God's long-suffering brings us into repentance, God's long-suffering gives us an opportunity to draw closer to him. Now that we understand that, let's look at what patience means for us. Now, I make that distinction because these words are very close in meaning, but there's an important and unique distinction between them. See, in the Greek language, long-suffering means long-tempered or slow to anger. On the other hand, patience means remain under or abide under difficult circumstances. And although these two words seem the same, they're actually not. Let me show you. See, both words relate to man. We are to be long-suffering and patient. But again, only one of these words relate to God. God doesn't have to be patient with our circumstances. He's long-suffering to bring us to repentance. But there's no need for God to be patient while we're going through. Because he knows how it's going to end. And he knows what you're going to do. And we have to remember that he equipped us for the battle. So we need to be uh, patient and long-suffering. But God is the only one who needs, needs long-suffering. It's not man. However, because of God's love for us, he equips us with both. See, we don't know how circumstances will end, and certainly these circumstances can lead us to frustration and anger. And this frustration is often expressed in our complaining, arguing, and for some of us, we fly off the handle. Now, trust me, <laughs> there are times when we have a legitimate reason to be frustrated. But there's a big difference between speaking against injustice, sin, and danger, and our complaining. And the only thing that complaining, arguing, and flying off the handle yields is separation of God's people. And let me tell you something. It's actually a, re a reflection of what's inside the heart. And these uncontrollable outbursts that we can have can cause us to lose our witness. But most importantly, they can cause other people to stumble. That's why it's so important to understand what God says about patience for us. So let's dive into the first chapter of James. It says, count it all joy when we fall into various trials because those trials produce what? They produce patience. Now this patience that the Bible is talking about here is referring to a patient to patience towards situations. And while we're waiting for them to unfold, the Bible tells us something very important. It says, stop complaining. 
See, while we're going through trials and situations, God does not want us to complain. And we see this highlighted in the Bible with Jesus' response. See, in John chapter 6, verse 43, the Jews couldn't wrap their mind around what Jesus was doing, nor did they understand how he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Sounds familiar, right? We don't have a clue what God is up to sometimes. So they start murmuring and murmuring with themselves. So Jesus walks up to them and he says, stop complaining. Now, he didn't smack them. That was in my version of the Bible. <laughs> and sometimes I feel God doing that to me. But he does confront them and he says, shut up. Stop your complaining. See, their complaining was rooted in frustration of not knowing what God was going to do next. See, everything was okay when free fish hoagies were being passed out. <laughs> but as soon as Jesus introduced an opportunity for them to trust him, immediately after his miracle, they failed. Have you ever encountered someone who praises God for a new job, a new relationship, or a new car? But as soon as they run into trouble, they start complaining about their new job, their new relationship, or their new car. See, let me tell you something. God does not place us on an emotional, spiritually draining roller coaster. With the same level of rigor that we praise him when we see him moving is the same level of rigor we should praise him when we don't see how God is going to do it. We should not allow our, allow our praise to diminish just because we don't know how God is going to work things out. If we're going to trust him in the good times, we got to trust him in the bad. If we're going to praise him in the good times, we ought to praise him in the bad. Let's remember, no matter what is going on in our lives, God is worthy of our praise. See, one of the keys to exercising patience is to continue to function as the person that God has called you to be. Never allow circumstances to change your outlook on your calling, your attitude towards others, and you cannot allow a lack of patience to steal your joy. See, never allow your outward circumstances to change your inward nature. We are to remain the same through every trial and situation. That shows the faith that we have in God. Don't allow God to, don't allow your circumstances to change you and change who God has called you to be. We have to remember our identity is found in Jesus Christ. And when things are going well, my identity is still in Jesus Christ. When people are driving me crazy, my identity is still in Jesus Christ. Don't allow outward circumstances to change your inward nature. Now, the Bible tells us that during these trials, we are to count it pure joy. Now, what's interesting is how the Bible uses this word joy. It says that it's supposed to be pure joy. Now, the reason why it's pure is because it comes from God. Now, notice, he didn't say that we are to be joyous for the trials, but we are supposed to be joyous in the trial. Why? Because as we maintain our faith in God, he will make us stronger. And the way I maintain my faith is to read God's word. The more I learn about him, the more I learn that I could trust him. And as I maintain faith, resist complaining, and remain patient, I don't always get out of the circumstance. 
but I see it a little differently. And ultimately what happens is his word will restore my faith and my faith will lead me to more patience. So basically what I'm saying is this. Faith is developed by the word of God, but patience is developed by exercising our faith. That's why it's so important to read God's word. The more I read it, the more faith I develop. The more faith I develop, the more that I could be patient. But if I don't see what God has to say, it becomes hard for me to trust him. Now, the good thing is the Bible doesn't stop there with the virtue of patience. He calls us to a deeper level of patience that isn't innate in human nature and is not developed from our experiences. Now, the book of Galatians chapter 2 says this, and you guys, most of you guys know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and what's next? Y'all went to Sunday school. See, when I put my faith in Christ, the fruit that I receive is not just beneficial for me, but it's also important for my relationship with others. Now, let's remember, God's long-suffering brings us to repentance, and repentance leads us to salvation where I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the fruit that comes with this Spirit enables me to point others to Christ so that they can re repent. So, patience developed from from trials helps me to build, patience from trials help me to hold on to God's unchanging hand, but patience from the Holy Spirit helps me to connect others to God's unchanging hand. Now, why is this important? Let's look at 2 Timothy 1 4. It tells us this For time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So what is Paul saying here? Basically what he's saying is people will go to places to hear what they want to hear. They will not go to places where there is sound doctrine, but there are a group of people out there that go to church so they can be massaged and so that they can feel good about checking a box of going to church. And there are a number of preachers who are doing exactly what Paul said would happen. They think that presenting some sort of uh, psychological and philosophical approach to the gospel intended to massage and not convict is actually going to help someone's soul. But saints, let me tell you, the bottom line is this. You cannot preach salvation if you don't preach sin. If people don't understand the fact that we are born into sin and remaining in that sin has everlasting implications, we cannot expect them to grasp the important knowledge that they need Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins and who gives us eternal life. Therefore, it is imperative that we give them the unadulterated, infallible, inerrant word of God. See, Paul makes it clear on how we should give it. See, in verse 2, he says, preach the word and be prepared to do three things. He said to correct, rebuke, and encourage. So what Paul's telling Timothy is this, to rightly divide the word of God, make it understandable and applicable to the lives of the people, and to do it as the spirit leads. Let me repeat that. We are to rightly divide the word of God, make it understandable and applicable to the lives of the people, and we're to do it 
as the spirit leads. And as we do this, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not our responsibility, but it's the Holy Spirit that will reprove, rebuke, and convince. Listen to me. The scripture does not give us license to tear anyone down, but it gives us opportunity to lift them up. And we see Paul go on, he goes on with this in the next verse. And he says to do it with great patience and careful instructions. See, when we come across someone who is diametrically opposed to the truth of Jesus Christ or has fallen victim to the lies of the enemy, the last thing they need is for an arrogant Christian to give them yet another reason as to why they don't want to become a Christian. When we engage in social media rants, finger-pointing arguments, we lose our witness. I don't know about you, but I have yet to hear a testimony of someone who has come into the church and said, I got told off by a Christian on Facebook, so now I come to give my life to Christ. (laughs) That's not how we win souls. Stop getting on Facebook trying to preach to people. We have to build a relationship with them. All it does is cause us to lose our witness. No one has ever said, man, they cussed me out on Facebook and I'm now I'm here to serve Jesus. We get to the point that our ranting, our lack of patience, and our impulsiveness leads people to not want what we have. And God is not in that. As believers, we're to rightly divide the word of God, make it understandable and applicable to the lives of the people, and we do it as the spirit leads. Telling people off, God isn't in it. Knocking them down, God isn't in it. Using social media to tell people off and how they're a sinner and that they're going to hell. God isn't in that. We have to make it understandable and applicable to the lives of the people by rightly dividing the word of God. And the only time we should do it is not when we're frustrated, not when we go out and see injustice on Facebook, but as the spirit leads. We need the Holy Spirit patience to guide us. And this can only be done when we enable the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to be patient with others in the same way that God is long-suffering with us. So hear me. Whenever we speak of God's truth, whenever we speak God's truth in genuine love, we should be willing to wait for God to bring the change. It's not us who brings the change. See, let me tell you something. If you really, if you're ready and willing to say the hard thing, then you have to be ready and willing to do the harder thing, which is practice complete patience, knowing that God is in control. Also, it's important for us to know that the kind of rebuke that the Bible is talking about here is really loving rebuke. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the Bible, it tells us that patience is an attribute of love. And you cannot separate patience from love. In 1 Corinthians, it describes what what love is. It says love is what? Patient and kind. And in verse 6 of the same chapter, it states that that love does not delight in evil. But listen, it rejoices with the truth. 
In other words, it's saying that it delights in rebuke that is given in love. Now, if more of our rebuke sounded and felt like love, our hard words would be more treasured and less resented. But this can only be done with patience that is given by the Holy Spirit. The person that we're speaking with may not immediately receive what is said, but if God is in it, they will get it. So when we consider what patience means for us, it's clear that one of those patience is a calling, but the other one is a commandment. See, God calls us to develop patience through trials, but he commands us to deliver patience given by the Holy Spirit. So whether you're, the, so whether you're in the midst of a trial, surrounded by people who are driving you crazy, or you feel like giving up on someone, seek the Holy Spirit to give you enough hope, enough love, and enough patience to endure one more day. I guarantee you, a time will come to walk away, but far too many walk away when godly patience would have been willing to stay one more day. We should remain motivated to share God's word. But if we're going to be motivated to share God's word, we have to be motivated to have patience. We cannot take this truth that we have and shove it down people's throat. But what we are supposed to do is rightly divide the word of God, make it applicable for the lives of the people, and we do it as the spirit leads us. Doing it out of anger, doing it on social media, hollering at people, sending them to hell, telling them why they're wrong for doing what they're doing. God is not in it. We have to be patient with our loved ones. We have to be patient with our coworkers. Why? Because patience, Holy Spirit-led patience, can lead them to repentance. Church family, God has been long-suffering with us. And he wants us to be long-suffering and patient with other people. So as you go about your week, preach the word of God. Preach it. Let people know that because of sin, we need a Savior. Let them know that Jesus came to die for our sins, and he's the one that will take away our sins, and we will have eternal life. We will live on this world. We'll live on this earth, and we will have life and life more abundantly. But as you give it, do it in kindness, understanding what godly rebuke is. Rightly divide the word of God, make it understandable and applicable for the life of, for the, life of the person, and only, only do it as the spirit leads. When we do that, other people will want to come to repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your long-suffering toward us. God, we know that there are times where we are a hot mess, but you did not strike us down, you did not separate us, and you did not leave us alone. And for that, God, we say thank you. So, Lord, help us to never forget your long-suffering towards us because it brought us to repentance. 
And Lord, we ask for that Holy Spirit patience that will enable us to point people to you. So God, we ask that you touch each and every person in here today. Grant them with that patience that will help build relationships. God, we cannot do it without you. If we do, we will fail. So Lord, I ask that you bless your people, continue to be long, continue to be long suffering with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.